Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. podcast where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racism within Michigan performing venues. I'm Ashley M. Lyle, and today my special guest is a bilingual poet and visionary and empathy coach, Brenda Williams. Hi, Brenda. How are you? Hi, Ashley. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, I, I, I'm so glad that we're getting this chance to talk again. Um, for those of you that don't know, I had the wonderful opportunity of having my very first interview guest, B. Berhenda. And this was uh, when I first started Blacken, and I was interviewing women who were active in, within the community, helping others, and still performing their art in some kind of way. Um, so Brenda was my first interview. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to finish that or really, <laughs> or really get the chance to do the uh, award show that I had in mind. But I did get a chance to meet such wonderful, wonderful human beings. And Brenda is definitely one of them. So I'm really glad that you're here today. Happy to be here. All right. So let's get in, 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 uh, into this interview. So tell me about your poetry. Describe your style of poetry. Ooh, that is such um, a good question because I don't even know in its entirety <laughs> um, <laughs> how to really even explain it. I, I mean, I consider myself a love poet. I mean, I write a lot of love poetry, mm-hmm. um, but I also think I write a lot around identity mm. and loving oneself. And it's so interesting you know, just before we jumped on, um, you know, this interview, I'm actually going to go into the studio and record a poem that I wrote specifically, you know, for the power of girlhood or, or for celebrating girlhood. And I would say that my work is heavily influenced by, um, Nikki Giovanni and, um, you know, Jill Scott and Sonia Sanchez. I mean, I would say that, that, that my work is uh, earthy mm-hmm. and um, black, right? <laughs> Very. <laughs> and and I think that um, maybe beyond describing what it is, I will say what I intend for it to be. Mm-hmm. I intend for it to be evocative. I intend for the poetry to challenge systems and to if my voice is a representative, I feel, or I intend for it to be representative for uh, the feminine. So when you hear me speak, I hope that you hear your story, your feelings, your sentiments, and like it sends like a clap back like out to like the universe about what we're not going to tolerate mm-hmm. and speak to our worth and our and our value and you know what our presence represents right Um, yeah so I think that couching it that way or framing it that way there's an intention an intentionality behind my work Mm -hmm. so that we can feel fully expressed in our existence and I think that it's also super important to love and you know it's not always 
romantic love, but I do think that I write a lot about the the um the weight and characteristic of what it's like to um, inhabit being you know allowing love to inhabit your body and your space because I feel that okay yeah oh, see yeah you're such a poet <laughs> that was just so that was just beautiful just listening listening to you speak just now. And what it, what also what this reminds me of is uh, I, I, it's um, I can't remember her full name, but her full po- um, stage name is uh, something the bird, the songbird. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But her poetry was featured a couple years back, I believe, at a BET Honors Award show, and it was called "You So Black." Um, for anybody that's listening, please go listen to that poem. It is a beautiful memoir to being black and how beautiful it is to be black. And I love every bit of that poem. I wish that I had the lyricism to be able to do poetry, um, just by listening to her in this poem. So it, everything that you said just reminded me of her. Oh, that's wow. I mean, Thank you. It's an honor. <laughs> so what techniques did you learn early in your exploration of poetry to get you where you are today? Oh, I think that, um, you know, being in a, a theater kid helped uh, a lot. I think being open to all different genres of music also helped a lot because I think that when the more you have at your disposal, Mm -hmm. Uh, the richer your art is going to be. And so you can be influenced, I think, from other disciplines. Mm. You can incorporate it into your your own work. Mm -hmm. And I would say that early on, I was influenced by a Spanish poet, Lorca, um, Pablo Neruda, you know, Jose Marti, um, Nancy Marejón, Celia Cruz. Even though Celia is not a poet per se, but I think just that Afro-Latina robust fire unapologetic you know in in my being and expression mm-hmm. gives way to a certain rhythm mm. and and expression so i think that wherever you are you know as an as an artist you know no matter what level or whatever your discipline is you're just constantly influenced i think by your environment or you're constantly influenced by, again, what you allow into, you know, your environment. I mean, you can maybe have never been to, and I'm just throwing out a country, like you've maybe you've never been to China before, but you are just maybe enthralled with Chinese culture. So you're digesting music, um, you're digesting cinema, you're digesting the, the, the clothing, the language, the culture, just everything because you're just so enthralled with it. And even though you've never been before, um, something draws you to a particular, maybe even time period, right? Like it doesn't even necessarily have to be like a, um, you know, different culture, but even certain eras of, um, of work mm-hmm. can greatly influence you. And there might be certain times, time periods that you feel like maybe I was just born either too early or too late. I don't necessarily resonate with like present day, but I really identify with, you know, 1940s or, you know, 1800s, you know, whenever there's just mm-hmm. certain periods that maybe really influence you. So I think le- le- leaning into where you're in naturally influenced, I think helps shape your, your art, but just also being open to 
what can influence you. And I think that's the job of the artist is that we um, are consistently processing and like synthesizing the human experience on what it means to be human. And that is layered and complicated and it shows up in food and language and, you know, interaction play into, uh, you know, what can influence your work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now since you're a, you're a bilingual poet, the other language that you're fluent in is Spanish. Is that correct? That's correct. So, mm-hmm. and you also have a, an organization called the power of girlhood. Can you talk a little bit about how you are influencing uh, young girls of color um, in your organization, black, Latina, uh, young girls and girls identifying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so I think that being bilingual definitely opens your world up more. And I think that it's super important, you know, as we, you know, even talk about the black experience, that's so wide and varied. And I think we have to also think about the diaspora as a, as a whole. And I think for many of us, um, we're shocked to know or learn that the transatlantic slave trade, while many of us, yes, landed here in North America, but the majority of the transatlantic slave trade ended up in what we now know as Latin America. Mm -hmm. So there's far more African descendants who speak Spanish than English. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of (laughs) trippy for a lot of us, (laughs) but that goes to show you, right, what happens in what's passing for education in our school system. Mm -hmm. You know, we got revisionist history and carrying on. And then also too, um, our exposure. And of course, you know, you look at your environment, you think you, you know, you're the dominant because, you know, you're kind of walking in a four block, you know, radius or you're, you know, in a community where everyone looks like you. Um, it, it's super important. And I think foreign language did that. It opened, it opened my mind up and it opened my heart up more to uh, different cultures, different people, different points of view, ways of thinking. And I mean, you know, that's not to negate the fact that Spanish is a colonizer's language. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is super important to note that just having access to language, period, I think unites us in many ways, you know, especially as Black folk, because, you know, we speak Spanish. And, you know, if we're thinking about the slave trade, then that means we also speak French. Mm-hmm. Um, we speak, uh, <laughs> who else is in there? Dutch, German. Portuguese. Portuguese. Oh, absolutely Portuguese, mm-hmm. right? When we look at Bahia, Brazil, I mean, just the, the sheer population of, um, you know, African descendants, you know, it, it's really sort of astounding to look at how many um, enslaved Africans landed, you know, on those on those shores. So as as black people, I think that one of the biggest gifts that we could give to ourselves is learning um, another language and particularly learning languages um, where the enslavement occurred because that's one of the ways in which we were able to survive, right? Because mm-hmm. we're coming from different places on the continent. And so that means there's all of these different languages and of course, spiritual practices. But if we're going to work together, we got to come up with a common tongue. Like I have to tell you right. or share with you my tongue so that we can start to communicate because we're something is, is, is happening to us collectively. Yeah. And one of the the biggest um I think 
tragedies of, of the transatlantic slave is the erasure of our culture, mm. of our identity mm-hmm. and our language and the inability to practice those things that were um, indigenous to us. Right. And I think that when one isn't given an identity, you'll assume the identity of, you know, the oppressor and yeah. what they value. So, I mean, look what happened to In the Heights, the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and see, this is the biggest gripe that I have is how people are responding to black people asking the question, "Where are we?" That's the biggest gripe that I've been having because it's yeah. like y'all y'all don't realize or y'all willingly ignore the fact that you know because of the transatlantic slave trade there were dozens of enslaved black people that that were sent to the latin america area um i actually had a um a former theater leader reach out to me and his his um defunct theater actually did in the heights and their lead was a black latino young man Um, and Mm -hmm. they also had, uh, two other black Latinos in, in the show. And they were, from what he told me that they received dozens of flack about the fact that there was black people in general in this, in this show. And, you know, I said to him, well, first of all, you know, and he, and he's, he's a, he's a white young man. I told him, first of all, for you to include black people in that show is great because, predominantly white theaters will often get away with doing that show and only having white people in it. Right. Right. And I think that was the issue, you know, going back to West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Right? You did have some Latino or Latina, or I think, what is it? Latine. Latine. Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure we're using the correct terminology you know, right. to, to talk about one's identity, mm-hmm. um, you know, actors and actresses. But I believe that the the principal Maria was actually played by a white woman in brown face, mm-hmm. and that was not an uncommon um, practice. As much as we talk about blackface, so for your listeners who don't understand what we're saying, things about brown face or um, yellow face, and I hope I'm not offending anyone, but it's like when you have um, white actors portraying other ethnic groups, it's erasure. Yep. Right, because you know you can you can find. Asian, Black, um, Latina. You can find actors and actresses of, you know, the caliber. Because mm-hmm. the other like we can of the caliber mm-hmm. needed to execute the role. And so I, I hear you. And actually, I was listening to um, one of my colleagues, who's a coach and podcast host of uh, Cafe Con Fama. She did a really great sort of um, unpacking mm. of the heights. And I think there's another piece uh, to it when she talked about the casting director. So it's like, we have to also look at the production. Like, you know, when the credits roll, you right. know, sometimes we kind of fast forward credit. I read the credits because right. I want to know who is, <laughs> is working on what. Exactly. Who exactly. Ha- whose craft services, like, who are you? Because that shows you, you know, the hiring practices, yep. right? And and I think that, you know, for better or for worse, you know, however you feel about, um, you know, Tyler Perry, I will mm-hmm. say this. He employ a lot of black folks. He sure do. He sure do. And he and ha- he definitely has a mixture of people, particularly in his does. movies. Oh yeah, you but know? he hire a black. whole lot of black folk and all and black I, ranging skin tones too. 
Correct. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's super important that when we get in position and with, you know, with Lemanuel Miranda, I hope that he's taken the critique and then looking at then how do we collectively, because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not a Latina. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned Spanish, but what would our combined efforts and powers look like if we said, okay, we're going to get Tyler Perry. We're going to get Lemanuel um, Miranda. Mm -hmm. We're going to get Shakira. We're going to get Megan The Stallion. Like we're just going to get together Mm -hmm. and we're going to come up with our own production Mm -hmm. houses, right? We're going to come up with our own musical distribution entities. We're going to come up with our own movies. We're going to come up with our own network. Because if I'm not mistaken, um, Jennifer Lopez mm-hmm. purchased um, a network. I don't know how it's doing or wh- you know where things are, but I will say it's like that kind of foresight. Yeah, we have to have, and I know, of course, financially, you know, resources are what they are, right? Right. But I know that there's enough wealth in our communities where we mm-hmm. can pool our resources together. I mean, look at what uh, Regina King with um, One Night in Miami. Yes, like, since did her, she did her thing. She sure did. She sure did. Since did her thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what was but but while we see her kind of out front, what went on behind the scenes? What were the hiring practices like? How hard did she even have to fight to produce, you know, the film in the first place? Right. And like even when we look at um Black Panther, I think that that mm-hmm. did so much for the culture and and still so much pride. But what were things like at the negotiating tables? you know, to keep certain things in, take certain things out. Like what were concessions? We don't know. Right. So I'm just saying like with the heights, of course, you know, not, not defending, mm-hmm. but it's like, what were the stipulations? Um, he obviously is a fair complected, um, you know, Puerto Rican mm-hmm. man. So I'm sure there are a lot. There were a lot of factors that go into it, but it's the hope that um, <clears throat> it didn't stop with him because he cannot be the only culture maker. Right. 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 Absolutely. Right? And you are a culture maker. Like you even having this podcast mm-hmm. is culture making. Mm-hmm. So I'm just hoping that while critique is necessary, that's how we grow. And I think that you know, being um, you know, having healthy critique or criticisms you know, around art helps us grow and, and, and the call in, um, I hope inspires, but, you know, even like I said, with however we feel about Tyler Perry, yeah. you know, the, <clears throat> the point is if you don't like it, you go create your own production house. Exactly. And you tell our stories. If, if, if the story, cause it's like, I don't feel that any one of us needs to be charged with solely carrying the entire race on our back. I mean, that's just so impossible and we're not monoliths. Right. Um, so I feel really honored to be here on your, on your podcast, because it's like, you saw a gap in the industry and you filled it. You said, okay, I have a particular set of, uh, look, I have a special set of skills. (laughs) (laughs) I have a special set of skills and with my special set of skills, I can create a podcast. I can create an award show. And I can uplift and I can bring awareness to, you know, organizations and people that maybe, you know, mainstream media isn't covering. And my thing is I'm so checked out of like mainstream media, like (laughs) 
I'm serious. Like I don't even pay attention to them, right. you know, anymore. And it's like, you know, look at Roland Martin. Like he came off of BET and now he has his own like YouTube show. Yeah. What is it? The uh, Bodega Boys. Like mm-hmm. they got this wildly successful podcast where I think only thing they do is uh, smoke weed and talk trash. <laughs> but like, look at where. They, but like, look at where they where they are because I remember like when they came out and they were just like this phenomenon. And they were on a Tamron Hall show today. And I think they got a book deal. Mm, good. So, right? Good. So that just goes to show you like what a lot of effort and consistency will bring. Mm-hmm. And just because of where we are, you know, Ashley, in terms of like technology and the um, what's accessible to us. I mean, you can literally make a film on your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. And the- so it's no excuse. Right. It's, it's, re- it's really no excuse. Um, and then, and, and honestly, that's, that's something that, that I've been working on with, with my friend, Dan, um, we've been, we've been creating a workshop called toward an anti-racist Michigan theater. Um, and I'm sure mm-hmm. my, my listeners have been hearing about this dozens of times cause I always plug it, but it, what Dan and I do in our workshop is that we, we call the theater community, the arts community in and say, here are the ways that that these are the things that have been the problems that have been going on within our arts community, not just theater, not just theater, because I've done my market research. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is what needs to be done in order to move towards an anti-racist art community, you know? Mm -hmm. And we've had multiple people come to our, our workshop, loved it. Follow, we followed through with them and, and the, and theater leaders have made their anti-racism statements, but some of them have immediately just flown away. Don't want to be bothered with us. But every time that we have the workshop, we always, always, always mention to make sure that they uh, follow up and find black art organizations uh, particularly if we're talking to a bunch of theater heads, we're telling them these are the black theaters, these are the BIPOC theaters, and these are who you need to go and support. Like, don't just mm-hmm. go to them for uh, for uh, to find other black artists. You know, don't mm-hmm. don't do that because now you're just only using them as your own personal resource. What you need to be is a resource for them. And whatever right. resource that you have, you need to go and support what they're doing and find out how you can help them. If it's a way that you can volunteer, if it's a way that you can actually uh, uh, actually forward a resource to them or monetarily support them. Mm-hmm. You know, because we right. we going to continue to have our own stuff regardless. We've always had our own stuff. I mean, always. No one monkey, you know, stop nobody's show. Right. I, mean, I think that that's one of the things that I you know, love about us so much, Ashley, is that we're so resilient. Like, we've always been resilient. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a better word, because I don't want us to be resilient anymore, because that means, like, okay, we're just used to adversity, and so it's like... Right. (sighs) Yeah. Because if we can't go down one avenue, we're going to figure out how to go down another one. That's right. Always. That's right. Always. That's right. Um, And it just marvels me, just to mm kind of close that out, it just kind of marvels me at what we're able to do with limited resources. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so briefly tell me, uh, I've been seeing this on your Instagram and um, I believe that it's part of your visionary and empathy coach practice. Uh, tell me about Women on Purpose conference. Yeah, so that's actually a conference that um, 
my business coaches um is putting on mm-hmm. and it's it's a one day conference but it's really robust i mean it's got workshops um breakout sessions uh panels and this is really in line with um any female identified entrepreneur who wants to make a social impact mm-hmm. uh while being um you know profitable and purposeful and so i'm going to be on the social impact panel and i really hope that your listeners um will attend and you know if you can it's free please i would love for you to attend too and so uh my name is uh on instagram mm-hmm. burhenda so your listeners can go straight to my instagram and go to the link in my bio and sign up and this is like super important because you know ashley um there has been a long-standing rift between white feminism and the womanist movement Oof. and so the womanist movement right mm-hmm. came it was more out of necessity because we weren't a- included in the feminist agenda. And so, you know, when white suffragists, you know, um, galvanized the movement, they didn't want black men to be able to vote, be able to legally vote before them. And it's like, it's not a zero sum game. And as black women, I look at, um, Anna Julia Cooper Mm -hmm. and Anna Julia Cooper, um, noted philosopher, you know, thought leader, you know, before thought leadership even became thought leadership. And um, she wrote this really evocative essay um, letter uh, that says, only a black woman says when on where I enter and there um, the whole race enters with me. So we as black women have carried um, the social, political, you know, economic movement you know, in our, in our communities. Mm -hmm. And when we, you know, look at our rights, we're not looking at just how it impacts me. I'm looking at how it impacts, you know, my father, my, my husband, my cousin, my significant other, my children, um, elders. We look at the entire community because we understand the gravitas Mm -hmm. of, um, of community and communal living. Like it's a value. We understand like, Stacey Abrams. I mean, my goodness. If 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 there was ever a movie and somebody needed to cast God, can y'all please make Stacey Abrams like cast like right. next, you know, whatever Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty, like Morgan Freeman, cool. Right. But can we get right? Stacey Abrams? Right. Can we please get can we Stacey please? Abrams as to play God? To play God. Oh my goodness, right? Because what she did down there in Georgia, like yep. she played the long game. She Actually, sure she did. played the long she played the long game. She was strategic. She didn't leave anybody out. Yeah. And so if if nothing else alone, like if we were to like put a, a, a personification of the womanist movement, mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams, like come all the way through, sis. Yep. So I say that long-winded invitation to have people come out to this conference because it's it's imperative and essential that when we look at um, social justice is also economic justice. Mm-hmm. And so as a female entrepreneur, we have the opportunity to make a, a seven generation shift in healing mm-hmm. by one decision that we make. And so when I prosper, not only does my whole bloodline heal and prosper, but my community, because what I'm, what I care about, I spend money on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I invest in 
So I even had a coach ask me, like, you know, what charities or nonprofits are you investing in? And I'm like, sis, like, that's cool. But I'm looking at female candidates. Yep. 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 Like, I'm looking at, at campaigns to put my money behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the only way my our agenda is going to get fully advanced, it has to be at every single level in every single sector. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, let now let me ask you this, and this is a question that I ask all of my uh, all of my guests. Mm-hmm. As a black woman, and in your particular case, you're providing a service such as yours, visionary and empathy coaching. What kind Mm -hmm. of obstacles and challenges have you faced because you're black and a woman and how do you overcome them? Ooh. (laughs) Mm. So I think one, one of the biggest obstacles, I think this comes up for, for any business owner is really yourself and also like societal norms and like breaking up with cultural agreements. Like I have to look at, um, generational impact because no one in my family is an entrepreneur. So the conditioning has been go to school, get a good job, retire from said job, get married, have some kids. Well, that's not exactly how my life went. And I don't know that I want my life (laughs) to look like that. But what is that pattern after? That's pattern after um, Euro, like that's European culture. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so I've been conditioned, and I think many people of color have been conditioned to operate under the confines of, like, the current system. And so I'm a disruptor. Like, I don't conform. <laughs> I'm just a nonconformist. <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't work for me. Right. So I think that's one of the things. And then, two, um, just knowing that I'm not responsible for sheer, just solely my life. Mm-hmm. And so when I created my my business, I didn't think about just like, okay, well, what do I get? It's like, no, how do I take care of my community with this business? And then also, you know, you think about pricing, like you don't want to price yourself out, but it's like at the same time, like if I'm broke, I can't help my community. Exactly. Yep. I feel that. I feel, I feel that all the way to my toes. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. Just keeping this all the way 100. We will spend money on bundles. Mm. We will allow our kids to skip school to go get Nikes that are made somewhere overseas in a sweatshop. Mm. Knowing good daggone well they don't need those shoes because one, they didn't make the grades to even earn those shoes, but you're going to let them skip whole school to go purchase Nikes Mm. that don't even really keep our community at the forefront. I mean, that was cute, the Kaepernick commercial. But let's just be like all the way, like let's just keep this thing all the way 100. Like, where are we really investing our resources and time? And and I would say like one of the biggest barriers, you know, too, is also knowing that I'm dealing 400 years worth of like systemic racialized trauma that lives in my body. Man. So I'm rewriting my genetic code. Yeah. So as a black woman in business, like you are rewriting history, your genetic Exactly. In the lived history that's existed inside your body, mm-hmm. like your DNA, your mitochondria is altering mm-hmm. with every choice that you make because you're going up against what has been, you know, not even acceptable because I mean, I, I cannot even imagine what our ancestors went through, but I will say this, what they have endured. So you right. have to undo because it was survival. Mm-hmm. There has never been a time actually where we've been this free. Yeah. So since I'm this free, I'm going to be free. Right. Exactly. I feel like, and I hate to use this as an example, but I really do feel as though COVID, us shutting down, the entire country shutting down, I feel like that that was, yeah, (laughs) 
I feel like that was an entire reset button. Yes. Um, yes. Particularly for for uh, our socioeconomical culture. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, our our entire the entire thing I I just recently over the past year just learned about this article called the fifteen characteristics of white supremacy. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the one that spoke to me the absolute loudest, actually two of them that spoke to me the loudest was mm-hmm. the sense of urgency and perfectionism. Yep. Girl. Ooh. That whole part. Jesus. <sighs> and and, yeah. and you know, it 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 set it sets that bar for it set not bar. It sets that tone for me where I'm actually mad at myself for allowing that to happen. But then he, the other side of it too is that I was conditioned. Into we were that. all conditioned. Yeah. We've all been steeped in this. Yep. You know, and like I said, you know, going back to like the genetics. Mm-hmm. They've been steeped in it too. So it's like you've been preconditioned and steeped in um privilege and entitlement. Yep. And it doesn't serve anyone. Like the oppressor doesn't even thrive in an oppressive um system because it cuts you off mm-hmm. at the kneecaps of being human. Yep. And it prohibits Absolutely. you from empathy and compassion and to me, love. Mm-hmm. You are so distant um, from it that you don't even recognize it. So yeah, when you look at those characteristics, and that's one of the things that early on I had to divorce myself. Nothing's urgent. Right. Stop making up things as being urgent. Now, don't get me wrong. We have to honor our commitments and the things that we say yes to. But time is fictitious. Like that whole thing, that is man-made. Mm-hmm. So what is this rush? Yep. But, you know, Jesus cursed the fig tree because it grew out of season. There are seasons. So there's a time to work. There's a time to rest. There's a time, you know, for peace. And then there's time to, you know, knock a few bucks. Mm. So <laughs> I think that it's super <laughs> um, important to know what season um, you're in for timeliness. But, yeah, that whole sense of, like, perfection. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that can go. Mm-hmm. I'm not, mm-mm. <laughs> So real quick, real quick, Mm -hmm. I would like for you to tell me what is your greatest accomplishment so far in your career? And this is another question that I ask all of my guests, and it's called Mm -hmm. the Queen's Request. I would like for you to suggest to me one or two Black Michigan uh, performers, and that can be in any performance genre that you think we should be keeping an eye out for. So first, Ooh, first okay. tell me your greatest accomplishment. Okay. So I think my greatest um, accomplishment forever will be the power of girlhood. Mm-hmm. We're celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Good for um, you. Yeah, We got a launch party coming um, in July. I'll send you info on that. But I think that um, seriously is, is my greatest accomplishment. So you know, knock on wood, mm-hmm. if I were to pass away and be like, you know, what's your legacy? I want it to be the power of girlhood. I feel like that's the um, most important thing that I've done and what drives my um, coaching business because a portion of my proceeds goes back to the power of girlhood. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of artists that we need to watch, um, one would be one single Rose, uh, Rosemary Wilson, who is an accomplished playwright, she, poet. She was a uh, she was a guest earlier this season. Yeah, <laughs> super dope human being. Uh-huh. Follow her on Instagram, One Single Rose. Um, Monica Blair, 
She's actually getting ready to open for Sheila E at Shane Park. So super excited about that. Ooh, okay. Monica Blair, yeah. you said? Monica Blair. Yeah, she's on Instagram. She's under M B the Light. So letter okay. M is in Monica B the Light. Super dope tacular um artist. I would also say Robin Kenny at Motor City Woman. I definitely think that that's um You one, said Rhonda one. Kenny? Robin. Robin. Mm-hmm. Robin, Robin Kenny. But there are so many I could I could name. Right. <laughs> well, I you know, I'm gonna have to come have you come back and we have a, a much more thorough interview because I feel like I, I could just I could just absorb everything that you have to offer. Because you're you're just you're just an entire ocean filled of knowledge. And I just I just want to learn from you so much. Mm, thank you. I mean, I feel the, the same way about you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, thank you again for coming. Mm-hmm. And you have a great day. You too. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can find Black Queens on Stage podcast and Black Literature and Art Queens Network at blackqueensonstage.com and blaqn.org. Follow me on Instagram at blaqnshowmichigan, on Facebook at blaqshowmichigan, and on Twitter at blaqnmi. You can find all this info in the show notes. Please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcast or on Podbean to let me know what you think of the show. Thanks again. Until next time.